All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 396. This week in space history, for October 7th to the 13th. I'm John Mulnix. I'm mostly back after a bit of a hiatus. I've lost my voice for the last couple of weeks, going on a month now, uh, which is why you haven't heard from me in a while. I've also been taking some time off because my little sister is recovering after she received a kidney transplant just a few weeks ago. She's doing well, and her new kidney is helping her get back to a healthier life. She received the kidney from a deceased donor. We don't know who the person was, but our entire family is so incredibly grateful for the gift she's been given. Organ donors are literal lifesavers. If you're a registered organ donor, like me, thank you. If not, please consider taking a few minutes to sign up. You can give the gift of life. I'm including a link in the show notes so you can register today. Also, if you've got an iPhone, you can even register through the Health app. Thank you. This is the first episode in what I want to be a weekly series of Space History episodes. The Space Shot started off as a daily podcast, and I ended up doing an entire year of podcasting every day. Doing an episode a day took a ton of time, but I've learned a lot, and I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. I'm going to be sharing these weekly histories in podcast form, and I'm also going to be sharing them on LinkedIn and Medium. That way you can share the audio or text version with friends, colleagues, and space nuts everywhere. As always, I try to make sure Facebook is updated every day, so check out the Facebook page for The Space Shot in between episodes of the podcast. Before we get started off today, I want to note that we're on the tail end of World Space Week, which runs from October 4th to October 10th. October 4th is the launch of the Space Age, Sputnik launched on October 4, 1957 from the Baikonur Cosmodrome. The Soviet Union successfully launched the first artificial satellite. Although its scientific value was minimal, it was a propaganda coup for the Soviets, even if they didn't immediately realize that fact. I'm linking to an article by Roger Lanius about Sputnik and the start of the space age. Now, let's get to some space history. A few days ago, I shared a post from Draper Labs about how American astronauts utilize star charts and sextants during the Apollo missions. It's incredible how the astronauts were able to use a tool that's hundreds of years old during the middle of the 20th century on humanity's first mission to another world. That Draper Labs post will be in the show notes, so check it out. October 8th is the anniversary of the launch of SpaceX's CRS-1 mission. This first in a series of commercial resupply services missions launched in 2012. More recently, SpaceX launched CRS-18 in July of 2019, so there have been quite a few flights in the seven years between these launches. During the launch of CRS-1, the Falcon 9 experienced a loss of Engine 1 at approximately 1 minute and 19 seconds into the flight. The rocket was able to handle a sudden pressure loss on Engine 1, 
A SpaceX press update noted that, quote, as designed, the flight computer then recomputed a new ascent profile in real time to ensure Dragon's entry into orbit for subsequent rendezvous and berthing with the International Space Station. SpaceX also noted that, quote, Falcon 9 did exactly what it was designed to do, like the Saturn V, which experienced engine loss on two flights, and modern airliners, Falcon 9 is designed to handle an engine-out situation and still complete its mission. No other rocket currently flying has this ability. CRS-1 delivered supplies like food and consumables, along with crew clothing and other necessities. This mission also delivered the Glacier, or General Laboratory Active Cryogenic ISS Experiment Refrigerator, to the station. During launch, Glacier was carrying a special cargo for the astronauts on board the ISS. It was ice cream. Not the freeze-dried kind that you see in museum gift shops, but the actual frozen variety. Sounds like some tasty science. In addition to the special ice cream delivery, Dragon also delivered the capillary flow experiment to the ISS. The purpose of these experiments was to see how fluids move on surfaces in microgravity, which is an important topic that has implications for how water and fuel are transferred between spacecraft. Next up, we're crashing into the moon on purpose. On October 9, 2009, the LaCrosse satellite and a Centaur upper stage from an Atlas V rocket impacted the Cebius crater on the moon's south pole. No, this wasn't done on accident. It was done on purpose to help confirm the presence of water on our moon. LaCrosse launched along with the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. According to NASA, the impact of the LaCrosse spacecraft and the Centaur upper stage sent a plume of material that might not have seen direct sunlight for billions of years. As the plume traveled nearly 10 miles above the rim of Cebius, instruments aboard LaCrosse and LRO made observations of the crater and debris, as well as vapor clouds. A more recent analysis of data from the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter shows that water is more, quote, widely distributed across the surface and is not confined to a particular region or type of terrain. The water appears to be present day and night, though it's not necessarily easily accessible. Finding water, even if it's mixed with water ice or other material, is vital for future human missions to the moon and other destinations in our solar system. Now... Let's head back to 1958. On October 11th, 1958, Pioneer 1 launched from Cape Canaveral. Pioneer 1 was the first spacecraft to be launched by the newly formed National Aeronautics and Space Administration. The spacecraft was launched on a Thor Able rocket, and it was supposed to follow a trajectory, sending it to the moon. Due to a problem with the launch vehicle, the rocket never attained enough speed to be launched on a course to the moon. Instead, it was set on a very high ballistic trajectory. Pioneer 1 was able to gather information on the Van Allen radiation belts. Even though this mission wasn't a complete success, the flight did provide important data on previously unexplored regions of space. It also showed that the United States was making progress during the early years of the space race. Here's another important anniversary for October 11th, the launch of Apollo 7. Apollo 7 was the first crewed mission of the Apollo program, and it launched from Launch Complex 34 on October 11th, 1968. Astronauts Don Isley, 
Wally Shira and Walt Cunningham orbited Earth for over 10 days, testing the systems on the Apollo Command Module. Some of the primary goals of the mission were to conduct, quote, extensive operational checkouts of the environmental control, guidance and navigation, and service propulsion systems. It's sad that Apollo 7 gets lost in the history books, but this mission was an important part of the program since it allowed for, quote, critical tests of spacecraft systems necessary for ringing out a new generation of spacecraft. The mission had an unfortunate problem that came in the form of a common cold. Wally Shira developed a nasty cold, and after that, it was only a matter of time before the other crew members in the cramped Apollo spacecraft caught it as well. The astronauts' cold caused some tension with ground controllers and also between the astronauts. Several exchanges between Shira and the Capcom, or capsule communicator, showed how irritable the astronauts were during this time. Microgravity affects how fluids flow through your nose and other parts of your body, so I can only imagine how painful it would be to have a cold in space. The crew was able to work through the cold. They were successfully recovered by the USS Essex, which was an aircraft carrier that saw action in World War II and the Korean War. Interestingly, it's also one of the carriers that Neil Armstrong served aboard during his career as a naval aviator. I've got another anniversary for October 11th. It's a very busy day in space history. The 100th Space Shuttle mission launched on October 11th, 2000. STS-92 was a busy mission. Astronauts installed the Z-1 truss, the pressurized mating adapter 3, which allowed for the shuttle to dock at different parts of the station, and control moment gyros on the ISS. A CMG, or control moment gyroscope, is a unique piece of machinery that controls how a spacecraft rotates. A flywheel spinning around can be moved in various directions to control the attitude of the station. Controlling a spacecraft, or the International Space Station with CMGs, is advantageous because no fuel is used for the CMGs, just electricity generated by the station's solar panels. STS-92 also had four spacewalks, which were conducted to install the Z-1 truss and associated systems. Astronauts also tested the SAFER, or Simplified Aid for EVA Rescue backpack during this mission. It consisted of a small nitrogen-powered backpack that allowed the astronauts to control their movements should they become disconnected from the shuttle or ISS. Discovery undocked from the station on October 20th and returned to Earth on October 24th, 2000. Next up, the Enterprise. On October 12th, 1977, Enterprise flew on the fourth free flight mission of the shuttle approach and landing tests. Astronauts Joe Ingle and Richard Truly piloted Enterprise to a landing at Edwards Air Force Base. The shuttle Enterprise never flew into space, and a refit to make the orbiter spaceworthy would have been too costly and expensive. The approach and landing tests were necessary because it proved that the shuttle design could safely land like a conventional aircraft. Last up, let's take a launch on a Juno 2 rocket with Explorer 7. We're going back to the 1950s for this one. NASA's Explorer 7 spacecraft launched on October 13, 1959 from Cape Canaveral. The purpose of this mission was to, quote, measure solar X-ray and Lyman alpha flux, trapped energetic particles, and heavy primary cosmic rays. 
Secondary objectives included collecting data on micrometeoroid penetration and molecular sputtering and studying the Earth-atmosphere heat balance. This small, roughly 30-inch wide spacecraft only weighed about 90 pounds. The exterior of the spacecraft was covered by approximately 3,000 solar cells, and it looks super cool. Be sure to check out the article that I'm linking to in the show notes so you can see a picture of what I'm talking about. That's it for this week. Be sure to subscribe to The Space Shot so you never miss an episode. Hopefully next week my voice will be back to normal, fingers crossed. I'm drinking so much tea I should buy stock and celestial seasonings. I'd love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews help more people find out about the show, and I'd appreciate it if you'd leave one. I've got a number that you can call or text with questions or comments. Hit me up at 720-772-7988 and leave me a message or a text. I'll be sure to get back to you. You can also connect with me at John Mulnix on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much everywhere online. All the social links are in the show notes. Until next time, I'm John Mulnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.